The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon. Um, so this is Mark Green. I'm the medical director at Westbridge standing in for Mary today. I'm lucky to have as my guest today, Jerry Burton. Jerry's a certified brain injury specialist who's been in human services field for about 30 years, working with mental retardation, mental health, and traumatic brain injury. Jerry's currently the director of development for White Marsh House, which is a personal care facility located in Flowertown, Pennsylvania. Am I pronouncing that right? That is correct. I like that. And um, before that, Jerry was working as, um, at um, Success in Rockbridge, Rockridge, which is also um, Traumatic Brain Injury Facility located in Pennsylvania. So, hi, Jerry. Welcome. Hello, Mark. So, Jerry, um, tell me a little bit about the kind of work that White Marsh House does and also a little bit about the um, very important um, role of music in your work and how you came to that. Okay. Uh, White Marsh has traditionally been a long-term personal care facility, uh, MHMR. And I was brought in uh, some time ago to develop a brain injury program for the White Marsh House. And to that end, we are now right in the middle of that. I've hired a, a terrifically brilliant young doctor, Dr. Aggie Klotchik, uh, we also have hired Dr. Jim Codd, a very brilliant drug and alcohol uh, person, quite renowned across the country, to uh, join our team. And we brought in uh, Joanne Berger, who's a terrific uh, cognitive therapist. And uh, we actually admitted three weeks ago our first brain injured client into this program. And it is going well. The team is, is, is going well. They're enjoying their work with this young fellow. And we have three other clients that are currently in the pipeline that we hope to be bringing in in, in uh, one perhaps in a week or so and then subsequent to that another two weeks. And, uh, but, Jerry, what, what do you do? Um, what, what's different about in a TBI specialist center? Well, there are a lot of therapies that are involved. When you're dealing with uh, pretty much long-term MHMR, uh, your therapy model is a little different. Uh, you certainly want to make sure you get the community integration and those main things that go with uh, that ADL, adult for living, daily living skills. Traumatic brain injury is a little different. You're going to be working with a team that starts with the psychiatrist. Uh, not that our MHMR people don't do that, but this is a different model, as it were. You have your psychiatrist, your neuropsychologist, your psychologist, uh, your therapy team, your PT, your OT, your speech people, 
and you basically try this around this traumatic brain injury client with this team and pull together a, an approach that, given the goals and the, the goals of the treatment team itself, to get this person back to a life that uh, they they had known previously. Most brain injured people can remember the day they had their accidents, what they were doing, and they are just absolutely desperate to get back to there. So the approach to brain injury is 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 a bit more complicated than what we would normally do with uh, the MHMR client, Mark. So, um, what would the neuropsychologist and the um, cognitive um, treatment team be doing? The neuropsychologist would do the assessment. Would get the client first. And do the assessment as to where, kind of put the road map together for the cognitive therapist, the other people on the team. Heading that whole team would be the psychiatrist who would look at the medical piece, obviously, and, and see what meds are needed to advance this client along. So you have a psychiatrist and you have the neuropsychologist who did, does an assessment of the client and who brings in the rest of the team and say, guys, this is what I'm getting uh, this is what my tests are telling me, and here's the approach I think we should take. And you debate that. There are going to be some differences there, but at the end of the day or end of the period of time that you're doing your assessment, you want to have a road map for that client going forward. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to uh, approach the cognitive piece. And that's a very important piece because you want them to start seeing the world as it really is and not through the brain injury. The brain injury, of course, does things to the brain and sometimes accentuates things, for instance, impulse control. One of the things that really happens uh, with a brain injury is you lose that impulse control. You lose your brakes, as it were. And the cognitive person helps you come in and get you to see where those brakes should go back on. Uh, one example I typically like to use is a, a brain injury client. I would look at a girl and find it attractive, but that's going to be about it. I'm not going to say anything. It's just a, I see an attractive girl over there. A brain injury client will see an attractive girl, and she may even be with a boyfriend or a husband, and could possibly, depending on the extent of the injury, go over to it and, and say, would you like my phone number? Right. Uh, I wouldn't do that, uh, you wouldn't do that, but if, if depending on the severity of an injury, lack of impulse control, that could happen. So do you see a lot of addictions in, your, in the train, in the TBI population too? Yes, you do. You certainly see your share of it. You certainly see your share of it, which is why we brought onto this team Dr. Jim Cott, who is a nationally recognized figure in drug uh, and addiction, but you certainly do. and. Uh, and it, it, it permeates right down to the lowest level. It could be there. It could be still be seeking for things as simple as coffee, cigarettes. I mean, naturally, if they're in a program, you got the big things covered. They're not going to have access to drugs and alcohol and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But that addictive personality is still in play, and you'll see it uh, manifest itself in small ways, going to the market and buying an over-counter, over-the-counter situation thinking that perhaps they can get uh, high, if you will, from that. But, you know, coffee is a stimulant, cigarettes is an, uh, are an addiction. So you, you, you see that, uh, if nothing else, but clearly uh, a lot of the other pieces that, that go along those, as well. Those, those stimulants like coffee and nicotine, uh, which a lot of us can get away with, um, 
might disinhibit or cause a lot more problems for someone with a fragile or uh, with a fragile brain. Absolutely, uh, as you can imagine, that if you already got some things up there that are not quite right, circuits misfiring, as it were, and I'm, I'm speaking in, in terms I hope the layman can understand. You don't want to go sticking a stimulant into that mix, and now you have, of course, the uh, energy drinks, Mark. Uh, and so now the clients, that, that has more caffeine, I understand, than coffee. I've never had one, but I understand. Yeah. These yeah. things can really fire you up. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you got a client and you're trying to keep a client calm, uh, as it were, you certainly don't want this client out there pumping themselves up with these energy drinks or or caffeine, as it were, and uh, so we, we, we watch that very carefully in the psychiatrists and our medical people. We can't tell people not to drink these things, but we certainly discourage them to a large extent and to the extent that someone would want to have a cup of a coffee, we try to suggest that they have it as early in the day as they can so that going into the evening and into the night, uh, it doesn't interfere with what you got going on and certainly doesn't keep you up at night, which could start a whole other cycle the next day if you have a client who hasn't had a very good night's rest. Mm-hmm. So you really want to kind of try as best you can to pull those kinds of things out of the mix. So um, how, how long do people come to White Marsh for? How long is the treatment usually? Well, the brain injury, the, the long, the, uh, let me just go back to the, 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 um, MHMR, that can be very long-term, obviously. And uh, brain injury is not a short-term fix. It takes a long period of time for the therapist to get the programs going, to get them working, and it goes in uh, graduated steps from there. You can come into the facility, and if you do well through your therapies there, then perhaps the next step can be uh, an apartment out there with the staff and maybe a class here and there, perhaps even a job where we send a job coach to work with you. Uh, and from there, perhaps you can have your own apartment, graduate to your own apartment with staff just coming in uh, every now and then. But it is, uh, by every measure, a long-term situation because it takes a long term to reprogram those things that you're trying to do, you're trying to reprogram behavior, obviously you're trying to get cognition back through the cognitive therapist, the behavioral therapist wants to work on behaviors. So those things really do take time. So it is a, indeed a long-term process, as you can imagine with the brain. It's, it's, it's the most uh, sophisticated organ in the body, so if that gets damaged, uh, you got your work cut out for you, but uh, there are some extraordinary brain injury professionals out there that are doing yeoman's work uh, in the brain injury field. Uh, and I'll be giving some resources here at the end of our interview about some of these things that are going on. Uh, just a couple of resources that people can go to and learn right, all. Sorry, that's a good introduction to, to what's going on at White Marsh. I look forward to bringing you back, and then I want to hear a lot about your music and the role of music in your terrific in your work terrific have a quick break you're listening to voice america health and wellness good afternoon 
Boone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See? There you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. Mark Green standing in for Mary Woods today. So, Jerry... Jerry Burton, Certified Brain Injury Specialist, involved at White Marsh House. House. Jerry, tell me about um, your, the role of music in what you do, and I want to hear about Hendrix. 
right, okay, Mark. <laughs> I'll start with the Hendrix piece. I, I, I get asked that a lot, and, and the short of it is when I was a, a young fella, I, I started playing professionally at 13 years of age. I had gotten very good very quick. I was kind of into this music thing, practiced all the time. So it's about 14 I was playing in the local hot band in the town that I grew up in, which was Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, that is where the University of Alabama is located. Mm-hmm. I was playing in a hot band at that time, local band called the Diplomats, and uh, the Diplomats would get some pretty good gigs when somebody would come in town and need backup musicians. We would be hired for that. Well, one day we get a call that Chuck Berry was coming into town and he needed a backup band and I might add to this day Chuck Berry still goes from town to town picking up backup bands. But that was big enough but the real kicker was who we were opening for and the opening act, I mean the main act was Jimi Hendrix at Memorial Coliseum at the University of Alabama. So we get there that afternoon for rehearsal and there's Chuck Berry, that's pretty exciting. but everybody's really, I mean, this was Hendrix when he was burning guitars. The fire department was there. There had been this big thing that he was going to light the guitar on stage. I mean, this was really huge. And we're trying to get to see Hendrix, and uh, rehearsal starts, and there he comes. He walks out there just like everybody else. We get to spend the afternoon rehearsing with him. He does his sound check. He goes off. Chuck Berry comes on. He does his sound check. And the first opening act of Chuck Berry was actually a group called Fat Mattress, which was the backup musicians, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell, for Jimmy Hendrix. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so, so Fat Mattress opened, and then we came on with Chuck Berry, and then Henry came on. But in the meantime, I'll never forget, this was a Wednesday night, and on Wednesday nights we had a regular show at a club in town called the Citizens Club. Now, keep in mind, this was uh, 1968, summer of 68 in uh, the state of Alabama. It was still a pretty fluid situation there relative to the civil rights thing and, and integration. So while you had had a, a bulk of that happen, you still weren't seeing a lot of integration in the social sets like clubs. But we had invited Hendrix after he finished his show. I think the thing started at 730 uh, the first group went on at 7.30. We were on like 8.30 with Chuck Berry, and then we left and went to our regular gig at the Citizen Club, and Hendrix finished the show. And he said, yeah, I'll be down. I'll come down to the show after I finish here. So with great anticipation, we went on to do our show down at the Citizens Club. And about an hour in, and you, you got to picture this, this is Alabama 1968, uh, a black club. And in those days, they were black clubs. Whites didn't come into black clubs, and blacks didn't go into whites. But all of a sudden, we looked up, and there starts this stream of whites. Young whites just start filtering into the club. We thought, oh, my God, he's really going to show up here. And this, we see maybe 75, 80 people, and the place is just buzzing now. We, we got something going on. We're seeing something we've never seen before here. And lo and behold, in walks Jimi Hendrix into this little small club in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell and the rest of the crew. Well, he comes over. You know, the musicians have a table, and he comes, and he sits down at our table. We set him up. We finished our set, and we came off, and I go right to Hendrix. I'm 14 years old. I have... I have no, I have lack of impulse control, mind you, in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking to him, really good boy, and then Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell goes up on stage and starts jamming with our guy, and now here comes the moment. 
Hendrick gets up and walks to this stage, gets the guitarist guitar, uh, kind of restringing it because he was playing it the opposite way there. Yeah, and we had an evening with Jimi Hendrix that was an evening. He sounded better. I, I later saw clips from his show out at the Coliseum, and I'm telling you, that was fairly mundane compared to the show he put on in that club mm-hmm. that night. I think it was just the energy of being in this small room with all these various kinds of people who were really kind of, excuse my term, grooving together, if you will. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. was the 60s. That was a popular term. It was a beautiful moment. It was an absolutely beautiful moment. And I got to know him pretty well that night. And he actually, young kid, saxophone player, he says to me, why don't you, he was playing the next night, I'll never forget, at the Astrodome in Houston. Why don't you go to the Astrodome, play with me tomorrow night in the Astrodome? Well, I called my mother on the phone and tell her, but first of all, uh, Hendrix to my mother in that generation was like, you can imagine. And I say, she asked me to play with him tomorrow night at the Astrodome, and she, I can't even tell you, begin to tell you what she said over the phone. (laughs) But I got his number, and I communicated with him a couple of times after that, and it wasn't terribly long after that, actually, that he, uh, he died. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 it was always a, a very, very special night for me as a young fourteen-year-old oh, guy cut playing what with the biggest artist at way. that time in the world, mind you. So everywhere I go and do music, particularly as it relates to young people these days, all they want to hear about is my Hendrix story. I'm sure, that's right. And, and, and nothing else. It's, it's like I've done nothing else in my life, and I just jammed with him. I didn't play with him, but I did have the opportunity to open with him in Chuck, with Chuck Berry that night and, and just uh, just remember the musicianship, remember the man, how cool he was. And how, how have you found that was. musicianship and that the, the, the spirit of music has changed the way you work with people with traumatic brain injury? Like, how do you... What do you because... You use music a great deal in your work with people with traumatic brain injury. Tell us a bit about that. Well, you know, actually when I came across this performance piece with Brain Injury Client, it happened quite by accident. I I was a manager and administrator at a brain injury facility, but I like to get out on the floor every chance I got to mix it up with the clients and get to know them. And one day I'm out there and I'm playing the piano, and uh, one of our brain injury clients came over, and he had been fairly stoic up to that point. Uh, wasn't very social, as it were. And all of a sudden, this guy starts into this like, like routine, and we all thought, "What?" And 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 then a couple of other clients came and start getting involved and wanted to do this and wanted to do that. Now here I am, a manager. I'm not a music therapist. There yeah, we have a music had a music therapist for this program. But it was it was so intriguing. We were seeing these things, seeing people come from places we had not seen before by virtue of this music. Uh, I went to the owners, and, and, and lovely people they were, very creative and, and allowing us to, all right, go for it. Try and see what you can put together. So we put together this little show just for ourselves, just among them, and we performed it for the rest of our staff. And everybody loved it such that two days later we got a request from on high asking not only could we do this again, but could we invite other people in to see this. And we did, and it just took on a life of its own. So now we have to tell the music therapist here, look at what we got here. 
And she really bought into it such that now what happens, Mark, is this situation happened on it. They do it every year. It's called Rock Ridge Live. It's a, their big, big signature event. The clients work on their routines all year. They take ownership of those uh, acts that they do. We also have to have backstage people, stage managers, MCs. So for that moment in time, we have an American Idol situation going on involving brain injury clients, except there are no losers. You can imagine the families, how they react to this and respond to this. Of course, it's a, it, the newspapers eat this sort of thing up. It's a great public relations vehicle, not only for the oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, not only for yeah. the company, but for the client uh, and the brain injury situation itself. But it, it was it, it happened quite by accident. We weren't expecting to do music therapy as 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 a performance art. We typically had done it much like and, and used a lot of the music of one of your previous guests, Steve Halpern, who literally wrote the book on music and relaxation. And, and I, I must say. We, we, we swear by him and his music and his, his music for relaxation, but this was more music as stimulants, uh, make a joyful noise, right. if you will. And collaborate and do some play together. Um, it sounds like you have a real community event going on there. Everyone has a different component that they work on and come together. It sounds like also the family is very involved. They see their um, family members in a different light. Absolutely, and I, I can't stress enough how incredible that moment is when, first of all, they know that their, their loved ones have been working on this all year, so they have been discussing it with them. Their loved ones will call them after rehearsals and talk about it, and then at certain points they start getting into wardrobe, what do you think I should wear, how I should look. I mean, we're talking show business here. I really try to employ real show business values, not just a cursory uh, piece here. We wanted to do this thing after we saw what we had. Let's go rent a, a, a beautiful stage. Let's get some top flight equipment in here, sound system, the whole nine yards. And I am telling you, it started out with just families. Now the families bring other family members and friends. Uh, last I checked it, it probably gotten to a point where any larger and it would be prohibitive. That's how big it's got, but it's such a joyful well, that sounds Please. fantastic. And now, Jerry, you're you're now producing um, music for. Um, oh, we're gonna. We wanted to hear a clip of your music from a CD, Sideways by Bishop Clay. I don't know if we're going to be able to hear that this time. We're going to get that. Yeah. We, well, you have it there. I don't know if they have it queued up. Okay. I'll let's see if we're going to queue that up. If we don't do it at the end of this. Let's start the next segment with it. Okay. Okay. Very well. See what happens. Okay. Uh, have a little break and see if we can queue up some music. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance yeah, use disorders. I think the first one would Westbridge be provides an integrated tool diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover and that doing what works in helping individuals and families get recovered from drug disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, this is Mark Green, standing in for Mary. We've got Jerry uh, Burton here today. He's, apart from working in traumatic brain injury and music, he's also a producer. This is one of his latest works, Sideways, CD by Bishop Clay. We're going to hear a segment of it. Well, I hope we're going to hear a segment of it. Maybe there we go. Here it is. Great song. That's a great beat, great funk. I love the horns going on in the background there. Tell me a little bit about that CD, please. Well, this is a group that I recently finished for Grusin out of Pittsburgh, Mark. They are called Bishop Clay, and they are considered phenoms out there, and they called me, and this is their first CD. Uh, And one of the things I've known for in the music business is I I usually get a lot of calls for initial CDs. that's kind of become a specialty of mine, and there's a reason for that. I like to work with the artists when they're young, hungry, not uh, jaded by the spotlight, as it were. So I got the call a little over a year ago. If I were interested in producing the group, I listened to them. I went out and met with them, and I was really struck by the chemistry of these young fellows. Average age, about 21. Some of them were Duquesne music students out in Pittsburgh, but... What really struck me was the chemistry. These kids have been playing together since they were very young, uh, 12, 13 years old. Reminded they me sound of my like own. It's your band. It sounds very tight. That's part of your production, though, right? Yes, that's, uh, but you know, it, 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 I rehearsed the dickens out of them to get them that tight. I do a lot of work in the pre-production arena. I don't like to go in the studio and spend the day spinning my wheels. I spend a lot of time in pre-production, going through what we're going to do, rehearsing it, getting it right, so that when we go in that studio and we do those first two or three takes, we have it. If we don't have it, I'm not going to spend 20, 25 takes trying to get a song. You just beat it crazy at that point. So pre-production allows you to really 
get it right, Mark, and then go in there and try to capture that magic in a bottle in those first two or three takes. If I don't get it then, I'll try it again tomorrow. I just don't stay there and beat it. But these young guys, they were young, they were hungry, and they were gung-ho to rehearse, and I could literally go in there and rehearse these guys eight, ten hours a day till they just couldn't take it anymore, and then go in that studio and get these sounds. And that's how uh, I, we have gotten a lot of feedback on this thing, very positive feedback. And one of the things we're getting is that the production is very tight, but it, a lot of the credit goes to the young fellows as well. Granted, I, I produced it, and that's kind of my style, but you really have to have the horses to run the race, or you're not going to get the sound and you when you want to go in and rehearse somebody who's established and got a hit record and you want to rehearse a tune for eight ten hours a day they're going to tell you where to go most of the time right, right. Yeah, yeah i've certainly had that happen when i work with some major labels out in motown and i get assigned to these various projects and i go in with my style and and, and they had everything to do in the world but want to rehearse and 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 you know I, i'm a star what 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 do i need to do this for yeah. These young people right at the beginning like that, let me tell you, they are very, very hungry. And it's, it's always a pleasure. I've never worked with any of these young groups that uh, I didn't have the greatest amount of fun doing it and, in fact, didn't learn something from them. You, you're never too old to learn from these young people. Well, here's it's a question I wanted to ask you. Like, how has your work with um, the uh, Ridge Rock? What was Rock it? Ridge Rock. Um, sorry? You mean the Rock Ridge Live show? Yeah, the Rock, yes, exactly, the festival. Um, right. How has that informed and helped you produce and maybe work with these young guys more productively and really draw out some of their spirit? Do you think it's Well, I'll yeah. tell you, patience. When you're working with uh, the brain injury clients, you've got to have patience. Uh, we talked a bit ago about that lack of impulse control. So if you're there and you're trying to get one part right with this person or a particular group of people, you've got an equal number probably right behind you who's just demanding your attention and uh, niceties, uh, forget about it. Uh, listen, I, I, I want attention too. So you really learn patience from working with the brain injured population and that's what you really need in music when you are producing a project because producing is really just a million decisions strung together uh, that's essentially what it is at the end of the day you you got to pick the musicians you got to pick the songs you got to pick the rehearsals you got to pick the engineers the studio uh, all of that how it's going to sound the instrumentation the orchestration sort of Gig to go a lot on. of decisions, a lot of collaboration with someone with um, a traumatic brain injury that's going to be difficult to organize. You're going to have more impatience, impulsivity, and you're, you're used now to guiding people through that process. In a very right, and, and that's, that's really what the main thing is, that is needed is that, that, that patience, Mark, that, that ability to simply sit there when, when, when literally all's going to hell around you and be able to try to focus on the one little piece here because, again, with the brain injured population, uh, if you're working with someone else, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to the average person that you're working with. They want you to hear what they got going on, and they want you to hear it now. Never mind that, you know, your attention is, is focused over here for the time being. So in, in many instances, to try to alleviate that, you just try to multitask that situation because they're not going to stop trying to get your attention even so they can see that you're trying to work with someone else. So you'll work with this person for a few minutes and turn your attention over here and, and give them a little attention relative to what they're trying to say or 
or sing or want you to see, and and perhaps you can then turn back over to the previous person you were working with and get, gain yourself a few minutes from the person you just finished working with. But that is one of the challenges, certainly, uh, and not to mention the cognitive piece uh, that goes with a brain injury. You know, there's there's a lack of cognition, so you're trying to, if somebody has a torch song, for instance, one of our females were singing a torch song, you would have to try to impart into that person how to sing a torch song, uh, how what it means, you know, the feeling, the feeling that goes into it as, a, as opposed to just to another audience, another person, which can be so difficult for someone with a head injury. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it is. It is a very, very tough. Uh, road to travel in terms of music, but I can now, tell you, you know, this. You're talking, Jerry. I'm, I'm thinking about how a family must respond um, to someone with um, brain injury. Families are so used to flinging out requests and, and comments and side comments and um, and criticisms and leaving things half said um, to their family members, and then if they come back with a brain injury um, at some stage, their whole communication style needs to change. It sounds like as you're talking about how you produce these um, shows, you're probably learning, there's a lot of techniques there which might, might be very helpful for families to know. Absolutely. I, I, can, I can tell you that I have not experienced a downside in working with brain injury and music as it relates to the families. It's all good. They love this situation. Uh, you it, it puts their loved one first of all in a, in a different place. If you if you got something you're really digging music, and you're fixing to get a lot of attention, you can't wait to tell mom or dad or your brother. And and if you're going to be working on this for a long period of time, that means you got something that you can talk to them about very positive for an ongoing period of time right up and into the show. And we work from year to year on these shows. It's every year at the same time. And that in-between time is all spent uh, working on these shows. And they take, as I said to you previously, they really take ownership of what they're doing here. And then the families take ownership. They, they really get into, oh, honey, I think you should wear this. Your hair will look great like this. And, and it just becomes a very positive island to work with, with the client no, and the I family. I was also thinking uh, about the way you need to structure communication and organize it, the tasks. You said there's a million things which need yes. to go on in this decision-making, yes. and you can't be, you can't just throw off a task and expect someone with a traumatic brain injury to piece it together and do it effectively. No, you can't. So a uh, very good point, Mark, and, and, and to that end, as we work on these tunes all during the year, obviously we're working very closely with their other therapist as we go forward. The psychiatrist knows what's going on. The neuropsychologist knows what's going on. The, the, the cognitive therapist people know what's going on. The behavior people knows what's going on. There's a piece here for everybody. Uh, and it, typically what will happen, if we can have a good day of rehearsal with one of our brain injury clients, that means that person is going to be in a much better mood, a much better frame of mind going into their next therapist. They say they're getting ready to see the psychiatrist, as opposed to having not done that exercise that day and all of the things that happen when you have a brain injury, you know, there's depression. This, when we really get it going and get people involved and they've taken ownership of that act, this is the one bright spot where they really look forward 
to coming into their therapy. It's music therapy. We're not going to solve all the world's problems with music therapy, but uh, for a good multiple disciplinary approach to a whole brain injury situation, I, I think we have shown, and certainly people like Steve Halpern have shown, that there is a place for music, not only in therapy, but certainly uh, in brain injury therapy. We, we certainly have seen that, and, and I think the families would agree as well that there has we have not seen any downside to working yeah, with, the, yeah, with brain injured people with music. It's all good. The families love this. Stuff. Hey, so Jerry, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, who you're treating and um, get into a little. We recently had a show actually, Faces of Combat: Post Traumatic Stress Disorder and Returning Veterans, which we broadcast in late May. Yeah, I think that was uh, Newhouse, uh, Dr. Newhouse, I believe, Eric Newhouse. Um, no, it was. Um, Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. I'm gonna. It was yes, it was Eric Newhouse, exactly right. Um, and then very good show, by the way. Thank you. Um, and but you're dealing with a lot of the same population, right? You're dealing from uh, yes. Well, one of the there. other areas we're getting getting into besides our traumatic brain injury uh, is is the post traumatic stress disorder slash TBI which uh, you're really seeing uh, coming from our veterans of the Iraqi and Afghanistan conflicts. There's even now a debate as to whether there's a difference in these brain injuries as one, uh, say, one that's sustained in an explosion as to one, say, that's sustained in an accident. It's, it's just a debate that's going on there now, and there's a lot of research that's going on uh, through the Defense Veterans Brain Injury Center, which is... Uh, done through our, our Department of Defense. But one of the things, not only because I, I personally feel a, a moral obligation to these uh, young men and women that are returning, but, Mark, there are so many of them. Uh, and you hear a lot about it now, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've talked to professionals, uh, General Scott Barry, Michael Graber, uh, these people that you're hearing a lot about now, but you're, it, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the proverbial oh, yeah. tip of the iceberg relative to the sheer number of these young men and women who are going to be needing these services, who need them now, actually. But uh, the, the services are just trying to get it together, you know. So, so, Jerry, let's come back after a short break and talk a little bit more about that. Okay, great, Mark. Okay, thanks. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people, grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh. oh. 
There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh, shoot! Get away! You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. That's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, this is Mark Green, filling in for Mary. Jerry, I'm Jay Burton. Tell us about the next segment, next music that we're going to hear. This is another song, Mark, from the young group, uh, Bishop Clay, out in uh, Pittsburgh, a young group that I produced last year. And, and this is one of the more ballady pieces of What's this, this written, written by the leader of the group, Paul Benson. And I might say to people in that area, these guys are currently on tour at the Hard Rock Cafes around the country. So if you okay, really want to see them that. and hear them... Uh, Check out the nearest hard rock near you. They'll be there in uh, due course. Okay, let's hear them. Okay. Oh 
Bishop Clay from Pittsburgh area, yes. Sounds, sounds great. Very different feel to that song. Very different. Different. I was surprised, given the horns and the sort of twang of the and the funk of the last one. So yeah, it's it's, a, it's an eclectic mix of things that people tend to be responding to. Uh, there's pop. There's a little rock action. A little R&B piece. Mm-hmm. Kind of typically a Jerry Burton production. I try to mix things up a little bit. So, Jerry, um, let's get back to our other conversations because it's important. You're talking, we're talking about the TBI population, um, where they're coming from and how many are there. Yeah, I, I, I particularly had wanted to, uh, uh, Dr. Newhouse was on recently and I heard that show and he was talking about our veterans. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to stress, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say something about them. There are a lot of them. There are uh, there is a lot of need coming from them, particularly uh, the post traumatic post traumatic stress disorder slash TBI. And I would say to all of our colleagues out there in Otter and the various other organizations, uh, talk to your veterans organizations in your area. They're going to need us. I know that uh, some of the veterans organizations in the New England area have actually already started to contact facilities. Uh, and buying beds, as it were, yeah. in anticipation of this large influx of, of uh, soldiers, uh, young men and women that are yeah, give, coming. Give me some numbers. Give me some uh, estimates here. Well, conservatively speaking, they think that at one point of the 1.8 million people that have been deployed so so far, they figure conservatively 20% of them uh, have experienced some form of brain injury. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. That puts the number at about 360,000, and that That's is a, fantastic a conservative. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and these are people with brain injuries from um, explosives and... Um, that is correct. Yeah. We've done a great job in, in advances in technology such that we can protect our men and women from these explosions such that they don't lose their lives, uh, certainly not as many of them. But what happens is inside of all of this armor, particularly the helmets, that brain gets rattled around pretty good in these explosions. And, in fact, I was just uh, reading something yesterday, one of the latest things I've gotten. They they had originally thought maybe 20%, but they are at a point now where they're going to start assuming that almost all of these young men and women have either traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, or brain injury, and they're going to start testing, uh, post-testing and pre-testing, going in and coming out. And I think what they're going to find is exactly what they suspect, is that most of these people are coming home with some sort of a brain injury or certainly post-traumatic stress disorder. They are going to need us and the organizations that we represent and the, and, the, and the therapies that we do. There is just no way you can be talking about 360,000 people coming into a system uh, and you're not yeah, going to need every resource the that system has to offer. Yeah. That's right. And, and the uh, VA system is uh, reaching out to 
um, experts and providers across the Yes, they are. They are starting to. My concern, Mark, is that we are behind the eight ball on this thing. I don't think we're in head of it. I think we're going to all wake up one day, and it's going to be there. I, I talk to people every day about this, and they, they share the same concern. Uh, the VA is doing the very best that they can, but they're really not equipped yeah. for this sort of uh, situation. Tra- traumatic brain injury is the signature injury yes. of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Prior to that, most of our population had never even heard of, of traumatic brain injury. So, well, I think I think maybe um, decades ago, the um, weapons used did not produce the same kind of blast wave um, that current. Weapons do. So that is that it, is it, absolutely it was, correct. It was shot through this through the head. It would be a very obvious dramatic brain injury. And now the brain injuries perhaps are more subtle with the the shock wave um, and what that does to the the brain tissue. Oh, inside of those helmets, the helmets are very very well built. Uh, but right. man, that brain gets really rattled around. Yeah. In there, so, and you can imagine the shock to the brain. And you've seen, I'm sure you've seen clips of some of these explosions where people have actually survived. You wouldn't think anyone could survive it, yeah. but it's, it, you certainly can't survive those type of explosions without some serious injuries. And um, our Department of Defense is, 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 is slowly getting there. We have a task force in Congress that's really aware of it, and we have an administration Mrs. Obama is very involved in military families, so it looks like the stars are lining up. We have the Shalala Dole Commission with Senator Dole and Donald Shalala, where the, 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 the absolute succinct thing they said, folks, we got to do better than what we're doing in taking yes, care yes, of our, our veterans here. And, and that's Jerry, all I'm saying to all of our, our professionals out there. They're going to need us, and, and I'm coming from more than a professional space here. I hear it's your personal situation to me. comes across. Yes. So Jerry, we've come to the end of the show. You've got an, um, a series of four CDs coming out sometime later this sometime year? Sometime in the fall. The first two would be in the fall, and the second two will be in the spring. It's called the Four Project, F-O-U-R. So the F and the O CDs will be out hopefully in the fall if I can stay on track. And the first of that CD will be called uh, Horns, and the second of that CD, the O CD, will be called End Voices. They are companion set. So uh, wow. keep a look Good out luck for with those. It's been great having you on the show, Jerry. Mark, thank you. Your passion show. And thanks, Jerry and Westbury, for all you guys have done in bringing the issue of uh, TBI to the forefront. I don't think anyone has done more or done it better. And oh, hats I off think to you. That's very True. kind of you. Your passion comes through. People are lucky to work with you. Take it easy, Jerry. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.